You're listening to the New Song Students Podcast. I'm Jackson, and I'm the student pastor at New Song Church, located in Oklahoma City. We hope this message builds your faith and helps you to know God better in a greater way today. Enjoy the message. What is up? Man, worship was so good. Um, I made this set, but I didn't realize that it goes exactly with the message tonight. Um, Every knee, bow at the name of Jesus. That's what we're all about. That's what we're here for. So I'm going to get into it. Welcome to church. Are you guys excited to be here? Yeah. I'm excited to be with you guys. If we haven't met yet, my name is Maddie. I'm on our lovely students team. Side note, but every time I get up here, I'm just like so reminded of God's goodness in my life because I was in y'all's seats, not actually in this building, but I was a New Song student and I think you guys are like in the perfect place tonight here at New Song Students, being led by our leaders, led by God, just ready to receive from him. So that's super awesome and it's like a full circle every time I'm up here. Anyway, who started school this week or last week? Or like in the last two weeks? Yeah. Nice. Okay, I thought I would share this story. I'm kind of exposing myself, so I don't know why I'm going to say this, but I'm going to. Every year on the first day of school, until I was literally 16, I would like cry for no reason at all. And I think it's funny because I'm not like an emotional, like crying person. There are some things that get me. Ashley just looked at me. It's okay, okay? (laughs) Ashley is an emotional crying person. (laughs) But some of us, you know, I'm not. I'm not one of those people. And so every year I would be like, I don't know why I always cry. Like, I'm not gonna cry today. I'm gonna make it through the day. And then somehow before, like before I was even on campus, like getting in the car, I was like, hmm. I don't know. It made me emotional. Am I the only weird person that does this? Anyone else? Anyone else? Are you guys like just so thrilled to be at school? No? Okay. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. But in all seriousness, I think that this series was perfectly timed for going back to school because I've heard a lot of you guys say things like, I'm nervous to go back to school because it's a more secular environment. And all summer, I've been kind of like in my little Christian bubble, like coming to students, hanging out with my students' friends, being with my family, and we just kind of are like protected in this little space. And so for you guys, I think that this sermon series is like the perfect preparation to go back into school. But then I also want to like acknowledge people in the room who don't have that kind of life, who maybe your family doesn't follow God as closely as you would wish they would. Or maybe, like, you've been on sports teams all summers that don't, you know, lift up the name of Jesus before every play or whatever it's called. I want to acknowledge you guys, too, because I think that every single person, no matter where you're at, no matter if you're a student, if you're a leader, no matter who you are, no matter how many years you've followed God, we always need to be having our hearts prepared to remain in an attitude of abiding so that we can make way for the Lord. And so in case you missed last week, or you just weren't paying attention, I'm gonna recap what Pastor Jackson talked about. We are currently in a two-week mini-series about revival, and as you saw in the video, it's titled, Why Not Us? And the main idea of these sermons is that God can and has used people to be earthly vessels of revival in both the history of our nation and in our world. Last week, Pastor Jackson told us a bunch of stories, and they started in the Old Testament of the Bible, which is like, forever ago, literally the beginning of time, and they dated all the way to the 19th century, I believe. That's pretty recent. And so, why not us? He introduced the definition of revival as this. It should be on the screen for you. It's a surprising touch of the Holy Spirit that accelerates kingdom ministry. 
and he told us some amazing faith-building revival stories. They included Jonah and Nineveh. They included Pentecost and the message that Peter gave, Zinzendorf, funny name, and the Moravians. Um, And then we had John Wesley, and then we had the Businessman Revival hosted by Jeremiah Lanfear. So we had like a good list of a bunch of people who were earthly vessels for the presence of God to come and change a nation. If you didn't get to listen to that one, I'm going to reference it throughout the message. So I would highly suggest going back a week and taking like 40 minutes or however long it is to go listen to it. It's on the New Song Students podcast. We always be saying stuff is on the podcast. So if you don't know how to find the podcast, you should ask a leader or a friend and they'll lead you to it. But anyway, go listen to that. One of the things that was mentioned last week is that revival starts with one. And this is kind of where we're going to land tonight because we know what revival is. I'm going to read it again. It's a surprising touch of the Holy Spirit that accelerates kingdom ministry. We know what it could possibly look like. Pastor Jackson gave us this like list of nine signs and symptoms of revival, all things that could take place during a revival. And we know that each revival that we mentioned last week started with one person. It was Jonah. The Holy Spirit worked through Jonah. The Holy Spirit worked through Peter, through Zindendorf, through John Wesley, and through Jeremiah Lanfear. So the question tonight is not, can it happen? Because clearly, it's been recorded for us. But rather, how did it happen through them? Not just how did God do this, because God can do anything he wants, but how did he do it through these people? How did these people become someone that God saw as a vessel he could use to change a city, a nation, and possibly the world? If we're going to ask the question, why not us, then we need to be ready for the response of God, for the leading of his voice, and the meditation of his scriptures so that we can find ourselves in a place that is absolutely primed for the presence of God to change the atmosphere of earth through us, through me, and through you. That's going to be the title of tonight's message, Through Us through me, and through you. This might seem kind of funny, but I kind of want to like say it out loud all together just to like build expectation that it could happen. So ready, set, go. Through us, through me, through you. There you go. Okay, let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for this group of people gathered here tonight. Lord, I thank you that we get to come into your house. I thank you that we get to come into your presence, God. I thank you that we get to hold your words in our hands. Lord, I thank you that we get to look at truth tonight. And I thank you, God, that each person in this room is a soul that belongs to you, which means that you want to speak to us individually. So, Lord, tonight I just ask that you would come, that you would rest upon this place, Lord, that your presence would remain on us, that you would use me to speak your words. Lord, that if there's something you want a specific person to remember tonight, that your Holy Spirit would stick it in their brain, that you would write it on their hearts, God. Would you be with us? Would you speak to us? It's your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so when I was preparing for this message, God showed me three kind of words to represent a partnership with him to prime ourselves and surroundings for a move of God. And those three words are repentance, remembrance, and reputation. You can write it down, repentance, remembrance, reputation. I feel like it's kind of a joke that like preachers always use the same first letter to do their sermon points. I don't do it that much, but honestly, there's something to it. Like it's easy to remember. We won't be forgetting this one. You also won't be forgetting it if you take notes. So the few of you that don't have your notebooks out, get those out and go ahead and take some notes. Also, if you brought your Bible, get out your Bible. Oh, 
No one has a paper Bible. Oh, okay. Yeah, get that thing out. Get it out on your phone, whatever you're using tonight. And let's turn to Luke chapter 1. As I was getting this downloaded into me, repentance, remembrance, and reputation, I was reminded of a story that takes place in Luke chapter 1, and it's kind of like all of this happening in real time. So to illustrate it for us, I thought we would read it together. Is everyone in Luke chapter 1? Okay, majority wins. We're going to go for it. Starting at verse 5, it'll be on the screen if you couldn't find it yet. It says, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all commandments and statues of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. That means they were really old. If the Bible says they're advanced in years, that means they're up there. They're old. Moving on, it says, Now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. This is the story of John the Baptist. He's a well-known guy, a famous Bible guy, if you will. And usually our focus on the story of John the Baptist is just on John himself. But tonight, I want to highlight the beginning of his story, which didn't just start with John. It started with his parents. The story starts with a very dark time. It's been 400 years since anyone has heard from God. So like between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's 400 years. Sometimes I hear you guys saying, I'm in a dry season. This is a dry season. 400 years and nobody has heard from God. Not only that, but the ruler at the time is Herod the Great, who is most definitely not great. He is like one of the most evil people of all time. This is the same Herod that murdered the infants of Bethlehem in hopes to find baby Jesus. This is bad time. He was pure evil. But in this dark time, the Lord has delivered a word. Last week, when Pastor Jackson was talking about revival, he told us that like when the world is at its darkest, that is just opportune time for God to come through and shine his light. So this is that. It's like the darkest time ever. As a priest, Zechariah would serve at the temple for two one-week periods each year. And because of the great number of priests, it was estimated there was like 20,000 of these guys. This was a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. So basically, all these priests, this is before the Holy Spirit. So they were like selected to go into the presence of God, into the holy place, so that they could offer something to the Lord. And since there were so many of them, they kind of picked him at random, and he got chosen. So this is like... This doesn't happen too often, okay? And so he's super excited, and this is going to be like the high point of his priestly ministry. 
But the backstory of this is that all this time that he's been waiting and he's been praying for a baby, he's also been waiting and praying for the Messiah to come. And the entire nation is pretty much joining him in this because it's been 400 years since God. And they've heard the prophecies of old that say like, there's gonna be a child born to you. There's gonna be someone that's gonna come and save the earth and it's gonna be the Messiah. And so 400 years later, all of these people are wondering, where is he? And they kind of have that Maranatha cry, like, come Lord Jesus, where are you? And so not only is he gathered in the holy place to pray for his son, his blood son, that he really, really wanted, but he's there gathered with the multitude of people to pray for the coming of Jesus. I'm sure you guys have heard before, like the incense of offering. And if you're confused by what that means, that's basically a picture of prayers going up to God, creating a sweet aroma. So kind of like how we sing, let it be a sweet, sweet sound. It's the same picture. Let it be a sweet, sweet fragrance going up to God so that he could hear us and answer our prayers. So that is where these people are at right now. Zacharias is in the holy place and the multitudes are gathered crying out for the Lord. The most common prayer of all these people was that they wanted to receive salvation through the Messiah. And as Zacharias is in there, in the holy place, the angel of the Lord comes down. And I don't know what it was like, but he was probably like, uh, 400 years and it's me and I'm in here. And like the angel of the Lord is right before me. It said that he was afraid because the angel of the Lord is not like cute little guy, like the clip art angel. No, this guy has a bunch of eyes and is like terrifying, but he appears to him after the 400 years of the dry season. And he tells him not first that the Messiah is coming, not the prayer he thought that God was going to answer, but he tells him, hey, I'm going to give you a son. And his name is going to be John, and he's not going to be like everyone else. He's going to be the forerunner for the Messiah. So boom, double whammy. And why I think this is so important is because I think that that is like the premise of revival, is that each person in this room needs to be a forerunner for the Messiah. Because he's coming back. He's either coming back in his spirit in revival in our time or he's coming back in the second coming to capture us, to get us and take us up with him. Either way, we are preparing the way for the Lord. We are just like John the Baptist for the second time. And so Zechariah and Elizabeth prepared their hearts for the baby that would prepare the way for King Jesus. Our focus tonight is not to figure out how we can start a revival because that's impossible. Like we on our own are never going to start a revival. It's not from us that revival is started. It's from God alone. And so the goal tonight is how can we individually and together position ourselves for God to move through our lives. Position ourselves for God to move through our lives. Personally, I have never actively been a part of a revival and like seen the fruit of it and been able to like put the stamp on it and like that was revival. Honestly, scared me a little bit when Pastor Jackson told me, preach on how to start revival. It's like, oh, that's great because I have no clue. <laughs> like I've never been in one. I haven't seen it yet. But what I do know is that God is always preparing his people for him to come back. And so I asked him, how are you preparing us? How do you want us to be ready for you to come? And, he's, and that's what he said, is that we have repentance, remembrance, and reputation. The goal is that we would leave this room tonight with the realization that God is looking for people he can use to bring heaven down to earth. 
And I want us to leave with the faith to believe that every single person in this room is someone that he wants to use. Every single one of us. If Christ is dwelling in you, then you can make way for the Lord. Second Chronicles 16, 9, it says, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those hearts who are fully committed to him. This is saying that the Lord isn't just passing by and like looking at us sometimes and being like, oh, my people, they're still down there. But no, he's diligently searching out hearts that are preparing the way for him to come so that he can strengthen them and strengthen their surroundings and prepare us for a move of God. In our story tonight, this is Zechariah. God saw him as a faithful remnant. I don't remember which translation, but in this story, one of the translations says that through this like dry season of no hearing from God, Zechariah was a faithful remnant. He was someone who stayed the course and he stayed believing. In a world that is dark and often scary, and it looks like no one really cares about God anymore, we want to be that. We want to be faithful remnants for God. Similar to Zechariah, every person Pastor Jackson talked about last week started the journey of revival with step one, and it's repentance. Write it down, repentance. Every revival story we've discussed, there's a common thread of repentance. Okay, so Zechariah was at the altar, chosen to be in the holy place when he received the words from God. And Zechariah was faithful to God. At the beginning of the passage, it said that he was righteous before God, that God saw him in an upright standing. So if I'm picturing this correctly in my mind, then I believe that the angel of the Lord could have visited him anywhere. This same angel that visited Zechariah also visited Mary to say that Jesus was going to be her son. And that did not happen in the Holy Temple. So God could have done this anywhere, but I don't think it's by mistake that this moment that Zechariah received the angel of the Lord, it was a collective cry from the people. Like everyone outside was collectively crying out for the Messiah to come. For someone to come and change the entire world. For Jesus to come and for everything on the scene to change. The realization that there was a turning back to God and a cry for his son created this like poorness in spirit. It's a poverty of the heart. I think sometimes when we talk about repentance, we think it's like, I did something wrong and I messed up and I just need to go get my sins forgiven, which is a part of repentance. But really what it looks like on a daily basis is always turning back to God. So you don't necessarily have to be doing something wrong to need to turn back to God. You could be hiding things away from him in your life that aren't like bad things, but you're not welcoming him in there. You need to repent and turn back to God. And so that's what these people were doing. They weren't necessarily doing anything wrong. They were just saying, we need Jesus. They were turning towards God and creating this poverty in their heart that said, like, I am nothing without this Messiah that is going to come. Furthermore, John the Baptist, his main message was that people would repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then Jesus comes along and he approves this message and he starts his entire ministry with a call to repentance. He also said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He later connects the dots between repenting and the poverty of the heart. In his Sermon on the Mount, opening with the first line, Matthew 5, 3, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This quote by Charles Spurgeon says, Everyone can start here. 
It isn't first blessed or the pure or the holy or the spiritual or the wonderful, but everyone can be poor in spirit. Not what I have, but what I have not is the first point of contact between my soul and God. This point of contact is repentance, that you were like this, and now you're turning to God. You're contacting him from your soul to his soul. So this kingdom that is at hand, they're all saying this can be made yours through repentance. Now, Many of you know repentance as like your salvation moment and when you came to know God, but like we just mentioned, it isn't a one-time thing. Repentance is, in my life, a daily thing. <laughs> like every single day, I have to turn my heart back to God. I have to turn my mind back to God. I have to turn my plans back to God. I have to turn everything that I am back to God on a daily basis because repentance makes way for revelation, Repentance softens your heart, and it makes way for God to come in and speak. When our hearts are, are repenting towards the Lord, we're like pure. We're pure-hearted, and we're primed for his presence to show up. Not that it's ever not there, but that we are distracted from it because our backs are turned. And so we need to repent on a daily basis. In the same sermon that Jesus stated that the poor in spirit are blessed, he also says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I feel like in a revival, it's going to be a whole lot of seeing God. Like it's going to be seeing God, not in the physical, but seeing him show up through signs and wonders in places that you counted out as like not even possible. Like this is how Zechariah feels. He's going to pray that the Messiah would come and God answers his prayer of his own child. He had counted that out. Like he was not sure that that could happen anymore, but his heart was pure and it was in a holy place and it was ready to receive from the Lord. And so he saw God move in ways that he had counted out. So if I want to see God, I need to constantly bring myself back to repentance and understanding that without God, I am nothing, that I need him more and more every single day, that I need to constantly turn back to him, and I need not to forget of who he is. That's my second point tonight is remembrance. Remembrance is an important aspect to preparing your heart to see a move of God. And similar to repentance, it's a common theme throughout all of scripture. I'm sure you've heard it in church a lot or you've heard it um, reading your Bible or maybe on a podcast or a sermon, wherever you get all your stuff, we learn to remember a lot. Jesus tells us to remember him through communion. That's probably the most popular way that we hear about remembrance. We are told to remember God's word and to hide it in our hearts. The Bible says to not forget the deeds of God, meaning that what he's done in the past for you, what he's done in the past for others. And then the apostle Paul, our favorite New Testament church planner, Shout out to Paul. He teaches us to remember others. And he opens like his letters with saying like, I remember you in my prayers. Or ends them with saying, I remember you in my prayers. And so remembrance when it comes to revival goes like this. We remember who God is, his word and his works. We remember the people who have been placed in our lives that need reviving. And then we call on God to remember us. Remembrance is like a reality check, for me at least. It causes us to see things for the way that they really are. 
Like, do you ever forget about something and then you start, like, making it up in your head how the story actually goes? And someone's like, no. Remember, it goes like this. And then you're kind of like, oh, you're right. Like, it's a reality check. It can be a good thing or a bad thing. There's a good reality about life with God, and that is that there is a God who loves us, who sent his son for us to come and save us. The reality is that when you accept the Lord as your Savior, that you get to live life with God. Like, that is the greatest reality of all time. And the reality is that whenever you start doubting God or whenever you start to be unsure of things that he could do or unsure of who he is, unsure if he even really exists, you can remember him. Like there's an entire book filled with things that he's done. Not only that, but you can take it to a personal level of things that he's done for you. I like to practice this when I start doubting who God is or I start doubting if I could see him work in a certain area of my life is I'll write down things that he's done in the past. And as I remember these things, everything in the future becomes a lot more like shiny. I'm like, yeah, God could work there because he worked here. Remembrance is important for setting our mind on God. Anyone get that feeling of like, I remember God and it encourages me and it builds my faith so much and it pushes me on. Yeah, remembrance is important. It's one of my favorite feelings when you look back on the day and you're like, oh, God was there. Like you pass through your day so quick and you don't even remember what happens. But when you take a second to think on God, you remember that he showed up. This is not only the reality we live in, but it's the reality that we have to live from. And what I mean by that is that there is another reality. And it's what life outside of God's kingdom is like. The reality is that there are people right in front of us every single day that are going to spend eternity apart from God. They will never get to stand with Jesus in heaven and hear, well done, good and faithful. They will never get the great joy of that like anticipation fulfilled, of getting to see the Messiah face to face and going, this is what I waited for this whole time. The reality is that revival isn't just a fun word to throw around. Revival isn't just a trend that we wanna be a part of, but it's necessary. Not just because we love God and we want to have 24-hour long prayer sets or months with a culture shift where everyone's, like, looking at Jesus. It's not just because we, like, want school to get canceled to go to the prayer room. I mean, that would be, be good. That would be good, right? I think it would be so cool. I don't even go to school, and I'm excited about that. Anyway, that's not the point of it all, though. The point of it is that there are billions of people living on earth at the same time as us right now in our community, in the world, in our nation that don't know Jesus at all, that are in full denial that he even exists, that are living their lives way separated and way apart from who he is. And that is why we need revival. There's an estimated 4.5 billion people living on earth that want absolutely nothing to do with Jesus. Not even like a little bit interested. 4.5 billion. Yeah. And with that reality, the remembrance of who God is and what he's done should push us to remember people. It should push us to remember the people right in front of us, to remember the people that we see walking in the halls, to remember the teachers that we have that are like extra snappy. Maybe they don't know Jesus. To remember our family members Some of you guys have moms and dads and grandparents who don't know Jesus. And it can be hard to remember them because it takes a lot of faith to remember someone and pray for them on a daily basis. But that's what this call is, is that we would remember people. 
We can remember both God and people through prayer. Prayer takes our mindset off of ourselves and it refocuses it on God and it also causes God to remember us. Now this might sound interesting to you because you're like, did God forget about me? No, never. God could never forget anything. Not once has he forgotten something. So this statement is more of like a, it causes God to see. So if you imagine like he's looking over the earth, how that verse said, and he's diligently seeking, like a little light bulb goes off when you pray and he knows and he sees you, and he listens to you, and he hears what you're saying, and he remembers those prayers. He remembers the things that you've prayed in the past. And so prayer takes our mind off of ourself, and it puts it on God. Colossians 3.2, it says, set your minds on things that are above. This just says, focus on God. Set your heart on God. And prayer is a great way to do this, because it gets us in communication with him, and it sets our minds on him. And it causes us to remember him. Prayer also causes our heart to start to desire the things that God's heart desires. I used to call this the heartbeat of heaven. Very poetic, I know. And my prayer was that my heart would beat to the same rhythm as God's. Meaning that what God cares about through this prayer, that I would learn to care about those things as well. And if this is taking place, if you're starting to care about the things that God cares about, then you're really going to start to care about revival because you're really going to start to care about lost people and you're really going to start to care about the fact that the Lord deserves his inheritance, that he deserves every single person on this earth to come to him, let every knee bow, let every tongue confess that is what the Lord deserves. And so if you're asking God, make my heart beat to the rhythm of yours, you're saying, make me care deeply about what you care about. Zechariah received the start of revival from God when he went in to the altar, when he went into the holy place, and he remembered what God said that he would do. And with this in mind, with the statistics about how many people don't know the Lord, we have to adjust our intentions for revival. And that's my last point tonight. Point number three, reputation. Pastor Jackson briefly touched on this last week, but revival has become kind of like this Christian buzzword. Like it's this thing that we see all around. People title their events like revival night. That's nothing new. But I do think it's like heightened right now is that we see these things, especially our generation. Like there's a real sense that Gen Z, is there Gen Alpha in the room? Anyone Gen Alpha? No? Okay, Gen Z. There's a real sense that Gen Z, like, really wants to be a part of a move of God. And so I think it's super easy for us to, like, grasp onto things and, and claim them as revival and just chase them as far as we can go. And it's almost become this, like, achievement. Like, groups of people are seen as more successful believers when their church breaks out in revival. Or, like, people are really, really celebrated. Pastors and churches are super celebrated when they have, like, a 24-hour prayer meeting that was just spontaneous and it lasted through the night. And I think that those things are incredible, and that is definitely the kingdom of God. Like, that is God at work. But, um, where am I at here? 24-hour prayer sets, 400 salvations on a random Sunday morning. Um, whatever it is that we're titling as revival, there is a sense that it gets some sort of credit to someone's name. Like if your church blows up in revival, everyone is like, whoa, did you see what's happening there? Not, did you see what God is doing? But the first thing that people say is like, did you see what's happening there? When Asbury was happening, 
I'm going to be honest with you guys really quick. Does everyone know what Asbury was? Yeah, so if you don't know, Asbury was basically at a college campus. They had, I think it was like three or four weeks of nonstop prayer, 24-7 prayer and worship. And it was earlier this year, so like so, so recent. And everyone was saying like revival is happening at Asbury. And God was definitely at work there. But if I'm being honest, I was slightly jealous. I was like, what the heck? What about new song? Like, we have pure hearts. We are ready for the Lord. Have you been here on a Sunday morning? It is so good. A Wednesday night, we have high schoolers, like, losing their mind in worship. I mean, we are ready. And I was a little bit like, what is happening? There was another part of me was like, is this revival? Because I've, I've prayed for revival, so why didn't it happen here? And my mind started going to things like, why isn't this happening at New Song or UCO or Edmond North? Why do I not get to be a part of this? Why, why, is, why am I not getting to go to prayer sets 30 minutes down the road? Like, I don't want to drive eight hours. I want this to be happening right where I am located. And while that is the question, why not us? It's not because there's credit due to our name, but the question is, why not us? Because we want to see God's name represented. Because the reputation of revival belongs to the Lord. The reputation of revival doesn't belong to a church group. It doesn't belong to how many people you could fit in an auditorium. It doesn't belong to the place that has to take all the chairs out and has standing room only. And while that is amazing, the reputation of revival belongs to God. If we start to say, I want to be a part of a revival because look at me, because look how good of a vessel I am, because look at how pure my heart is, because look, everyone, God used me. God was able to speak through me because I want to walk the hallways in my school and be like, oh, yeah, that Jesus club, I'm in charge. I started it. Oh, yeah, the reason that your parents got saved, because you prayed at my Jesus club, because I started it, because I started revival. If that is the heart for revival, to take some sort of credit to our name, then it's completely off. The heart for revival is that the reputation would be God's. Revival starts with repentance. It's continued with remembrance, but it's all purpose to uphold the reputation of God. In 2 Chronicles 7, 14, it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. This doesn't say, if my people will seek the experience of revival. If my people will seek the most spontaneous worship night they could possibly go to. If my people will seek the standing room only auditoriums. No, it says, if my people will seek my face, then I will hear and I will heal their land. Not for the reputation of the vessel, but for the reputation of the one who set the vessel into motion. For the reputation of God. Seeking to have godly experiences without only God as the motive is a very slippery slope. Because what happens when the experience isn't necessarily how you thought it would be? What happens when you show up at the revival and you don't cry? Or whenever you walk into the room that people said the presence of God is here and you don't feel anything? What happens then? The Bible says, if not, he is still good. It says, if not, 
So if my prayer is not answered, if I don't walk into the room and just get blasted on my face because the presence of God is so strong, if I don't sob in the back of the auditorium every time the guitar starts ripping, like if not, he is still good. So if I've based my entire faith on the fact that I will have an emotional experience when I step into the presence of God, then what happens when I don't? It falls away. And we start questioning, like, is God here? I see this all the time. I see people and hear even some of you guys talking about, like, feeling guilty whenever you don't have an uber-emotional experience with the Lord. Or whenever you open up your Bibles at home and you're like, this is, like, the same as opening every other book. Like, you don't feel it. I hear you guys feeling guilty and almost like you thought that the Lord has left you or even that he's not there at all and never was. And that's because if you root your faith in an emotional experience and not in just seeking to know God and to love God and to be available for when he calls you to do what's on his heart, then you've like sought out the wrong thing. You've sought out your emotions instead of the face of God. And this says, if my people who are called by my name will pray and seek my face, that is what causes him to turn towards us. The product of Zechariah and Elizabeth seeking God was the creation of a life that prepared the way for Jesus. Through their prayers, a baby boy who would get an entire nation ready to receive the life of Jesus was birthed into the wilderness. Without a fancy name, without a big reputation, without a fancy life, he was a simple, ordinary man who cared about the name of God and who cared about preparing the way for the Lord to move. The band can come up if you guys are ready. If God brings revival in our day, it will be because his ordinary people walk in obedience before him, seeking his kingdom and his glory. You may think, who am I? What can I do? I'm not particularly gifted. I'm unknown in the Christian world. But look what God did with these unknown but faithful people. This isn't in my notes. It's a bit of a side note. But there's another part of Zechariah's story where he actually doubted God big time. Like in that moment when he was in the holy place and whenever the angel of the Lord came and told him that he was going to receive a son, he didn't believe him. And he was made mute for the entire pregnancy. So like he couldn't talk, basically. And... I think it's interesting that the Bible still calls him like a faithful man. Like it still says that he was a remnant of faithfulness on the earth. And God still uses him to give us John the Baptist who prepared the way for King Jesus. So if you're here today and you're like, this whole revival stuff, I don't know if my faith is big enough for this. Like I feel like there's a little bit of doubt rising up in me. We want to have big faith. And we want to increase our faith. When we remember God, we want to increase our faith. But at the same time, like, no one's ever 100% sure. This man that God calls faithful and upright, that walked blameless in the eyes of the Lord, even he had a little bit of doubt. And God still used him in this moment. So if you feel like your expectations are low, that doesn't mean that you get completely counted out from seeing God move in your life. I'm going to move on says, look what God did with these unknown but faithful people. You may not be able to preach like John the Baptist. Throw me in that category. But John wouldn't have been there had it not been for his faithful parents. That's another part of revival is that 
I think a lot of us pray for it diligently for a little while because we think we're gonna see it in our time. And then when 10 months, a year, a semester of school, when time goes by and it hasn't happened yet, we start getting to wondering. We start losing a little bit of faith. But I think what's so crazy about John the Baptist is that Zechariah wasn't necessarily used to start revival himself, but the child that he birthed was used to prepare the way for King Jesus. So what if it doesn't happen in, in your time? But what if your prayers accumulated for your children? And what if they get to experience revival? What if they get to experience the entire world turning back to God? That's the reputation of the Lord. Like, would that be enough? John wouldn't have been there had it not been for his faithful parents. If we walk in daily obedience before God, asking him to pour out his grace on our land, he could use us. And he wants to use us, but he could also use us to be the mother or father of a great Christian leader. The world is so caught up in self-advancement. We need people who are willing to seek God in the wilderness so that he can use them in whatever area he calls us to. John the Baptist's parents weren't fancy. John the Baptist wasn't fancy. He was out of the wilderness. He knew the word of God. He remembered him daily and he prepared the way for Jesus to come. Our theme verse for this series was Habakkuk 3.2. It says, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. Oh Lord, do I fear in the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. It doesn't say, oh Lord, I have heard the report of New Song students. Oh Lord, I have heard the report of my friend at school. Oh Lord, I have heard the report of the most famous pastor. It says, oh Lord, I have heard the report of you and of your work. Oh Lord, do I fear. As we repent and receive revelation, as we remember God, and as you remember the people in our lives who need to be revived, we call on him to remember us. Not so that my name can be known, but so that the Lord could search the earth and he could find us ready. Ready to make way for him to uphold his reputation, to do what he says he's gonna do ready for him to like carve away in our lives for him to come, for people to see Jesus lifted high in our lives, for people to look completely past who we are, for people to not even see like your name, for people to look at you and be like, it's Jesus. I don't want jewels added to my crown. I don't want that to be my motive for a revival. I want the motive for my revival to be that I love God and that I wanna see every single person come to love God. I want the blind to see, I want the hungry to taste, I want the thirsty to drink, I want the Lord to be seated on the throne of every heart because it's the reputation that he deserves. I want him to receive his reward in me, to receive the reward that he went to the cross for, to receive the reward that every single thing we've ever heard about Christianity was for, was so that everyone could come to know the Lord, was so that my life could be laid down before him so that I could prepare the way for the Lord to come and move. He's perfect. And he deserves for us to make a way for him to move through us, 
through me and through you, in and around us. This is what every person who has been a vessel for revival had in common as they let God pave the way. Is that they laid themselves aside, they didn't care so much about what their life was caught up in, but they said, Lord, I'm a vessel for you. That's all I am. Nothing more than that. I'm just someone that wants to see people come to know Jesus. So use me. Use me how you want, God. I'm going to invite our altar ministry team, all the students, leaders, you guys can come down. If you came into tonight's message really excited for part two of the series because you were like, I'm going to get the revival handbook. I can't wait then I'm sorry to disappoint because that's not really what happened, but rather that it's a personal response that each of us have a decision to make tonight and each of us have a daily decision to make if we are gonna be people that the Lord can come and move through. And so I have some things for us to think on tonight. As our altar team comes down, you guys can come and pray for anything that you wanna pray for, for anything that you feel like you need prayer for tonight. But I do have some questions for us and they'll be up on the screen. So if you want to take a picture and contemplate while you sit here. Um, number one is where in my life do I need to turn back to God? Where do I need repentance? Where do I need to look to him and ask for more of him to come? Where have I been hiding and shying away? Where do I need to turn back? Number two is what do I need to remember that God has done? And who do I need to remember that God has put in my life? Number three is, do I need to adjust my intention for revival? Have I gotten caught up in the trend of it all? Have I gotten caught up in my reputation instead of God's? Do I need to adjust my intention for revival? As you think on these things tonight, I believe that the Lord is going to give you names of people to remember. I think he's going to show you places in your heart that you've been shying away from him. And I think he's going to check on your pride a little bit and adjust your intentions back to his face. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for these people. I thank you for each individual that's in the room tonight. Lord, I just ask that you would speak to us clearly. Lord, I ask that we would have a confident direction in where to go from here. God, I ask that as we sit here and as we look at these questions and as we ask you, I ask that this moment would be made holy ground, that your Holy Spirit would come and that you would begin to speak to us, that you would give us names of people that need remembrance, that you would show us things in our heart that need to be taken away. Lord, that you would revive us today. If we're gonna, if we're gonna have revival on our minds and at the top of our hearts, then Lord, we need reviving too. So if anything in this, in this room is dead and buried and seems like it has no place to go, Lord, I pray that you would revive it. And Lord, I pray that we would have an increase in faith and expectation, that our hesitation would be crucified because you are here you have come for us, Jesus, and you are ready to move. Lord, I pray that as you search the earth, that you would find us ready for you to move through. Our hands are open. Our hearts are open. We love you, God. Let's go back into a time of worship now.